0: You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This network is supported by our listeners. You can become a supporting member by going to arcpodnet.com slash members and signing up. As a supporting member, you have access to high-quality downloads of each show and a discount at our future online store and access to show hosts on a members-only Slack team. For professional members, we'll have training shows and other special content offered throughout the year. Once again, go to arcpodnet.com slash members to support the network and get some great extras and swag in the process. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Women and Archaeology podcast i'm kirsten lopez and in this episode i'm attending the tag 2017 conference in toronto canada hosted by the university of toronto so like me if you hadn't heard tag until recently tag is a infamous or somewhat infamous uh, conference in europe or in the uk that they decided about 10 years ago to start a north american version so tag stands for the theoretical archaeological group conference, uh, Chelsea Slaton and I had decided, or were invited rather, to co-author a paper for this conference. And I had presented on Saturday in a session called Pop Goes the Pot, Archaeology and Representations of the Past in Different Media Genres. Our session was great and actually came together quite unexpectedly in a way we all hope that sessions do. The day before I presented, several of us ended the evening at a local bar where Lynn Goldstein, April Bisa, and I discussed the conference as we think of it so far. Take a listen.
1: I, this notion of the other the other notion that I got from the plenary session that I thought was interesting is this I it's you know it's like ideas tend to go around to every discipline and everybody has to incorporate so now we're all incorporating slow you yeah. know so slow food slow, Archeology, span Slow, slow, cinema. slow, slow <laughs> cinema. I thought
0: that slow. was a really interesting one, too, because I I, you see this in Portland being a very foodie town, you see a lot of that slow food movement. This is really... Yeah.
1: And all of these
2: Norwegian films we're all watching of hours of nothing. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah,
0: that...
3: Just get a bird
2: cage. I mean... Well, one of the slow things was to watch a TV channel where you yes. watch birds. Right. And, but you don't have to clean up after them. Yes. So, that is true. It's, yeah. Well, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, I get the... And I
0: can appreciate the concept. Oh,
3: well, I think uh, it's a, it,
1: it seems a little trick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's bad. There's nothing wrong with that. But and was, I think you do appreciate things in a different way. That I do agree with. Yeah. But do we all have to go slow
2: <laughs> but was there ever really a fast archaeology i not know the standard critique is that it's slow and tedious That's so right. if we get even slower <laughs> where are we going well i mean
1: i think part of her point was that um, it's not just that it's slow it's that even if it's slow people would rather watch you do that than listen to you talk about uh-huh.
0: yeah right <laughs> yeah. because we're all very boring
2: yeah <laughs> i think watching us do what we do is probably much more boring i think so too unless every now and then we scream eureka <laughs> yeah. like that's like a hook <laughs> to make it that there's a point like you know baseball's on tv right now and i love going to baseball games and i can't get anybody younger than me to go to a baseball no. game, because they think it's just so slow and boring. Find so, Norwegians. Yeah, I need, to, <laughs> I need to find Norwegians in the Hudson Valley of New York. If you're out there, give me a call. <laughs> well, it's like,
0: I mean, I can get it if you've only seen baseball on TV.
2: Because
0: yes, it's boring on TV. But I've gotten to baseball games, and it's much more fun in person.
3: Yes, it is. So
0: there's a lot of that.
1: Uh, it's just this idea that or whatever whatever the new thing is, it means we're doing everything wrong. Yeah. And we have to fix it.
3: And I just
1: don't buy that.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, I think it's good to have new perspectives and think about things in a new way and change even the way we analyze things but and do new things. But I don't think it means that you start from scratch again. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, you know, there's
1: some or that everything you did in the past is bad.
0: Yeah, and I can't remember the author, but I remember recently reading a paper that was going over uh, a critique of the post-processualism and the way that they critiqued and uh, processualists in the way that processualists critiqued exactly. the you know culture historians. It's it's this like you're saying, just this <laughs> weird cycle that's for whatever reason every generation felt this need to like That's right. trash the previous and throw it out but it's like you couldn't get there
3: but you couldn't get there without it, it.
1: exactly yeah. that's my point although I will say this uh, when I was starting to do work on my dissertation and Lewis Binford was visiting where I was working and he said to me he said if you want to be accepted if you want people to say Oh yeah, what she's doing is good. He said you have to know all of those typologies, and you have to know all of that stuff, and you got to know it cold because if you don't, you will have no credibility.
3: Because you got to know where you're coming from,
1: and I think that's good advice. But people don't do that anymore.
2: It depends on what side of the country you're. <laughs> and what time period you're looking at there's yeah, nothing yeah. in historical archaeology once you're outside the colonial period <laughs> that is a typology that you need to right. know you know once you're out of the pearlware, whiteware, creamware it's all the same stuff so there isn't yeah, there isn't terrific. that kind of basic entry level exam that you have to pass to be able to do anything yeah,
0: yeah. there's a lot of out west i still see a lot of that that kind of to, work, yeah, very strong in the typology. And I was talking to someone earlier, and I don't remember if it was you or what other person I was to, <laughs> but um, just the base. And it's it is important to have a base and to, to reference you know theory with actual evidence. that that's you have to have the supporting <laughs> evidence for any theoretical debate or point. Yeah. But with so few, and this is sort of that juxtaposition between historic and like early prehistoric stuff, is you have so little to work with, and it's really hard to go into deep theory
2: on various things.
1: Or you can go totally into deep theory because you don't have
2: data. Exactly. And (laughs) you can't get back out. You're just stuck in deep (laughs) theory, (laughs) trying to make it relevant to the site that you're talking about or the culture you're talking about. So
0: that's where... Yeah. It's important to have those links with the people of the region in order to help ground your theoretical bent if you don't have a lot of the the physicality or the material.
1: I think it's true that once you're out of graduate school, conferences like this are, are kind of fun because you don't really sit around and talk theory all the time. Yeah. So even if you don't agree with it, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah kind of just fun to see what other people are thinking. Yeah, and, and how
1: people have changed what they're thinking, and yeah, so that that part is okay. So,
0: yeah, or even seeing how it resembles earlier thoughts that they may not have
3: actually read. Yeah. Um,
0: but what else have you? So that was the the plenary mm-hmm. a little bit on that, and just before we were recording, uh, when you were talking about the death bit
1: well uh, that, part, was, that was partly from the the um, the theory the uh, plenary
0: yeah
3: but
1: this afternoon well you were in that session also yes this afternoon um, on, not all of it oh I'm, I'm all right so this it. was a session on on uh posthumanism. yeah but what is it it's uh fa- not phasing post-humanism um, I don't know, I'm it's uh, doing something to post <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know. That's alright. We'll find it. We'll Saturday. Friday. Okay. Parsing, parsing. 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 Posthumanism. Parsing.
1: Posthumanism. And you know, I. It, it's interesting because if you. I mean, it's kind of a. It's kind of a new old literature. I mean, some of it's new, some of it's not. But um, it's this idea that um, you know, we have to move on to, to some new way of, of thinking, which is, I mean, and some of it I really like because it moves away from the dichotomy, uh, uh, this sort of dichotomous approach. And that part I think is very good. Um, but I think that, and some of the papers I thought were really especially interesting Mm-hmm. Um, some of them, I think, were a little more tedious, but uh, but uh, they were. Uh, but it's sort of trying to take a different, all different kinds of. What I liked about the session was taking all different kinds of data and trying to take all these different kinds of data and put it in this posthumanist frame, yeah. and which is different. Um, it's certainly different than Marxist. It's certainly different than processual or post-processual, um, but it's it's not horrifically different, and um, and then, you know, I, I can't say, I mean, I've read most of these people, but I haven't read them so closely that I can opine on the difference between person A and person B. <laughs> yeah. that, I, I, that I really can't do. But the, uh, but the kind of work they were doing, I thought, was really pretty interesting. Like the, the Foodways one, I thought, was really interesting as well. Just really, you know, what the food represents and how it's conveying meaning. And it, it was really quite fascinating and also then this notion of counter monumentality i'm not sure i mean i thought that was an interesting paper but i i don't know if it worked quite as uh beautifully as he was presenting it i mean he had a site that has earthworks and clearly the earthworks are not ginormous earthworks but yet so the question is 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 this a monument if it's not something you can see very easily and so and and so the question was, like, why was it there, and what was it doing, and why would, you know, can we even call it a monument? And you know what?
2: I wouldn't have called it a monument. Yeah. It's
3: an earthworm. <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> That's
2: what I would have called it. Yeah. Monuments are, by definition, something special yeah. and something different. So if there's nothing else on the landscape except for these things
1: and they are interesting and they are special and they are different and clearly they're doing you know uh, they're doing something to put all this effort into creating and and it also is clear they're taking advantage on one side of the natural slope of the land and drop to the river and things like that but you know i wonder sometimes about that stuff if You can make quite a mark on the landscape, and you could have put it there for the stupidest reason. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we do that all the time. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah.
1: It could be there for like a totally, (laughs) you know, party or something.
0: Yeah. (laughs) The edges of a bar open or something. Yeah, right. Yeah.
2: It was uh, in the settler colonialism session, Vanessa Watts said something, I'm trying to find in my notes. if I remember it correctly, the way she said it is that we basically do what the earth wants us to do. And I don't know if that could be an extension of that. There's already some sort of ridge in the area and that you build it up, you reinforce it, you exaggerate it, Mm -hmm. that that's that sort of, I think what she was trying to say, the communication between the land and the people that isn't something that we generally think or talk about.
1: Uh, well, I know like. we always talk at to land where we've got this slope and one of the mounds, the platform mound, is actually takes advantage of the slope. Mm-hmm. Well, that just seems like it makes good sense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> don't Why build that whole thing if you don't have to? Yeah. It's like you wouldn't create a rock shelter where there wasn't already right, a rock right. shelter. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: we need shelter from the rain. Here is a nice natural one. No, let's yes. build something else. Yes. Yeah, but just the the description of the parsing post-humanism in the first two sentences are relatively impenetrable yes. to somebody who is not already versed yes. in this literature Um, so it's not exactly welcoming no it was not i don't think it's supposed to be (laughs) right it was not necessarily intended to instruct so when there's this new idea that comes out and you're already assumed to be well versed and using it and knowledgeable about it and then you sit in 15 minute papers and you hear about how somebody is using it if you don't get that introduction somewhere there's a limited utility to that but it does like make a certain group of people seem cool and hip and on the cutting edge and the other people not so it's one of the reasons I avoid sessions that are that long when there's like 15 people in a session they're all going to be talking about something new cool and hip I know there's like, all these other sessions that are going to be under attended that are doing things that I could wrap my head around quickly that I can make contributions to by talking to the speakers so I was in the historical trauma session and yeah. That uh, that sounds
1: really. Oh, normal. I think I think this was you know this was interesting, but um, you know it. I don't know how new and different it
0: is. Yeah, yeah. I came in so, as I mentioned before, I definitely missed a good chunk of most of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, due to both prior engagements and my the fact that I really hadn't analyzed the uh the schedule very much um since it ended fairly early in the day but this was one that i'm like oh post sorry post-humanism this is definitely something that's intriguing i haven't quite wrapped my brain around it and there's a whole the first session is of or first talk in the session is uh introduction right so that was kind of a, a nice idea of being able to to pull people in but you had to be there for that yes. first one because otherwise like I came in at the end and I'm realizing I am so <laughs> over my head on this theory I'm like well if I understood the words that we were saying it yeah. might be really fascinating but
2: so well, far and I was
1: I was thinking yeah. oh my goodness maybe I should have assigned more of these things in my class. <laughs> yeah
2: well two years ago when I went to tag the hip session was the future is over and you know that's not represented anywhere on here so two years from now the next tag we might be post post human already (laughs) so I mean if the future is already over why would we think that we the post post human wouldn't be over as well yeah so I think we we have to be concerned as professors as well to not jump on the bandwagon and then train a bunch of people on whatever's cool and hip and they don't have that grounding of the things that stand the test of time Yeah that you know, this might have utility for certain ways of reconceiving things, but I don't think it's in any way you should cut something out of your syllabus to include it okay. in. It's okay. Yeah.
1: I wasn't planning to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking, actually, I, I was thinking that it would be very helpful some of the literature to really encourage current PhD students who are writing their dissertations to sort of expand themselves a bit and look at some of this literature to see if it's helpful to the kinds of analyses they're doing because I mean that's really the bottom line I mean the theory can be beautiful but if it doesn't apply to anything they're working on yeah it's not useful
0: CRM Archaeology Podcast brings together a panel of cultural resource management professionals to discuss the issues that really matter to the profession. Find out about networking strategies, job hunting, graduate programs, and much more. We'll often feature interviews with college professors, CRM business owners, and experts as well. Check out the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM arc podcast. Let's get back to the show.
2: my dissertation had a lot of the archaeology of memory in it and now that's just become kind of a standard thing right. that nobody highlights it in their titles or in their talks and several talks were just "Oh, collective memory but ten years ago right. people were like what coll- what are you talking how is collective memory yeah. translated and, and transformed so some things to, you want to be right. in the current dialogue but you exactly. don't want to try to be ahead of the dialogue right. yeah. if you're doing something like a dissertation.
0: Yeah. Yes, or too far in Yeah, exactly. you
2: don't want to be too committed to it. Yeah, because
0: you want to be able to demonstrate that you can be flexible and that you can't, you are grounded in the, ground the stuff that like, stands the test of time.
2: I'm just lucky that it stood the test of yes. time for, so, yeah. for my dissertation. <laughs> I didn't know it at the time.
0: You have that for, dealt well? So in the. His, the trauma history, mm-hmm. how was that session?
2: Uh, it was, there were three papers that were very, very different from each other. Um, one was very almost accidental in how it came about as she presented it. It was a, um, a woman who had been living in uh, northern Italy. Uh, my understanding is it was like a teacher exchange that she was like teaching there for a short period of time. And this 80-something-year-old woman just befriended her and decided to tell her stories of the trauma that happened to her and her friends when they were very young. Um, these massacres that happened in the it- area of um, Italy that was on the border of, with Slovenia. And then this became the anthropologist's dissertation. Was this kind of accidental encounter that she started to investigate further and further? So there was very much, it was so much more personal yeah, yeah. Um, than most projects are, and I think at some level we want to be distance, right? Um, and it gets into the whole "are you studying yourself", yourself sort right. of thing, right? Um, but that. You know, I started out the day in the settler colonialism session with a several Indigenous archaeologists, so it's hard to to critique the one and, and celebrate the other. Um, but she was talking about witness trees, and that this woman um, showed her essentially family portraits, and in the photo albums were. Portraits of trees, and these were the tree in the town that is the witness tree, and that when this massacre happened, they cut down the witness trees because the trees had witnessed too much. So it was very very poetic, um, but I'm not sure how it applies in a general sense to anything that's. Separate but witness from trees this. are a specific thing. But we generally don't think of them we think of them that they stood the test of time, but not that they were a sacred spot that the town would take photos of and speak well, if it's about. the kind of
1: witness tree where it's the where it's like this where the trees It actually, wasn't
2: intentionally uh, okay. distorted or if it was the only thing she talked about that was intentional is that some of them had dates carved onto Okay, because
1: usually when somebody it. talks about a witness tree, it's the one of the distorted ones with the where it goes out like that. Yeah. And those witness trees are all over the place. But but those tend to be very different than what she's talking
2: about. Yeah. And and again I didn't have much context other than her fifteen minute presentation. Right. Um, and then one of the another graduate student was presenting his work at an occupied prison speaking to the inmates of the prison about how they felt locked in and locked down, but that the prison itself was moving. So oh, you
1: talk about yeah. that.
2: very, very kind of different thing as well. So the, the more traditional one was the um, looking at what Native Americans in Alabama were doing with trade beads that they would find while walking the fields and <laughs> turning them into things. That's pretty bad when that is. And the, that is the normal. that it was the standard one. But the one person didn't show up, which is uh, John Sable, who does the seances at archaeology sites. So uh, it, uh, it could have gotten a little uh, more <laughs> a little differently. You well. <laughs> which you know I've been looking forward to hearing him talk at some point. I know he always goes to tag at the tag two years ago in in NYU he had three different papers that he submitted for it and you know I do ghost hunting in my work but in a a metaphorical way and he does it in a real literal way. way that he wants archeologists to collect the stories of the spirits from the spirits, which is a very different thing. So I was a little disappointed that I wasn't gonna actually get to see and hear um, from him. But yeah, and I think those two, the historical trauma and the settler colonialism kind of went together in in an interesting way, but they they were all very personal and very unique. So it's hard to take that work and go home and apply it to what you're doing.
0: Yeah, that's, I think, some of, I oh, don't know, I'm looking forward to tomorrow, that's for because sure. Because you're speaking? Yes, I am.
1: <laughs> and we <laughs> know that will be excellent. <laughs> and when we will be speaking as well, so yes. that will be excellent. So,
0: so that means Saturday's going to be the best day, right?
1: Well, I don't know what's in the morning, you're not in the morning though, right? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, and that's neither. where,
0: we'll see, let's see, I don't have a whole lot, oh, there's, this one looks really interesting, so there's a session here listed. A thing more a thing a First Nations elder and an archaeologist walk into a museum. I think it's time to make some changes around here. Reevaluating perceptions of material culture. Uh, So it's got a fun title.
1: uh, Very long. (laughs) Very long. Very very long. long. And something that people have talked about a lot. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So the, the opening talk is uh, Experiences and Traditions, Artifact Interpretation Through the Perspective of an Indigenous Elder. So that kind of sets the stage quite a bit for the rest of it, um, which is something that was a very thematic, I think, um, perspective at the SAA this year, too. So it's, it's good to see some of a little bit of continuity between the different conferences. Right. Um, And then I have one marked, that is the last paper here is Things, Us, and Them, Affiliative Curation of the Archaeological Record in the Digital Continuum. So that, I think, should be interesting. Um, I did uh, some work uh, doing some digital curation uh, a number of years ago, and I find the choosing and the process of which Artifacts are chosen and how to filter through access and What can and can't be shown especially for things that were obtained historically? um, Or you know you have to parse out any NAGPRA items because generally it's collections that are in for digital uh, curation or those that are not in the general rotation right of the the exhibit hall so it'll be interesting to see Oh,
2: that goes. I swear I'm, I'm going to be in the Archaeology as Resistance session. Yes. Very short title. And now, what Archaeology as Resistance? That's me to the point. I don't need a lot of song and dance. <laughs> I don't need a two line long title there. Yes.
0: It'll be a good one. I think that one I have two marked on oh. as well. Um, but, of course, we did an episode on this uh, in January one or two I think episodes on uh, on Trump but so there's a, a paper here from Trump to trigger warnings teaching an engaged archaeology in times of trouble and that should be kind of fascinating.
2: I hope. <laughs> That's after a bodies at contact zones, so I think more dead bodies is, will be will be talked about.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's kind of it's a, a small, fairly intimate conference. Yes. It's new to me. <laughs> so it's a pretty good experience.
2: There is a session tomorrow on water, but it's none of it is North American water. Right. Oh
3: so, uh, yeah. yeah.
2: I noticed that. Um, I'm just a die-hard North Americanist. Like, I'll go to things that are general and can be applied, but I just I don't have the cultural knowledge to really deeply understand when you're talking about Crete or when you're, you know, all these other places. I can't know everything, so I stick to what I can know very well.
3: Yes,
0: I would pretty much agree. And then the last. Well, it's not the last session listed.
1: No. No. Nope. I think oh, the okay. one I'm in is the last one. <laughs> so
3: you're at. That's,
1: that's it. So dead and <laughs> yeah, the living. Yeah, right there. <laughs> right before the individual abstracts. I am the last thing in the last session.
0: Yes. So, the dead and the living, where is archaeological theory today? Yes.
1: Can you tell us where it is? Well, it's interesting because, obviously, they're not really talking about where, you know, identifying where it is today in that sense. But there are three different categories of papers in it. One paper is is generally on bioarchaeology and and, uh, uh, mortuary stuff. Another set of papers is on using ethnographic uh, materials, either doing ethnography or somehow using ethnograph and that materials and then the third set of papers um is on forensic anthropology but forensic archaeology
3: yes
1: not forensic anthropology forensic archaeology and that's not something you think of as theoretical yeah
3: yeah and so that's
1: that's so that's very interesting it's a very different way of looking at it but zoe crossland does a lot of that and and the other paper that's in that part also does um, and but does it differently? So it, it's it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting contrast. The thing is, is if they if they were if they're successful in sort of the kinds of points they want to make, and it is applied more broadly to forensic anthropology, they're going to have a problem because those people won't be able to testify in court.
2: Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the challenge. There's a specific application. It's almost like a technical field. It is. And you have to know the standard methods and do it the same Same way. way. That's right. Otherwise, nobody's ever going to want to use you. And
1: if you're going to do something new, it's got to be... You know, it's got to be tested. tested, and yes, the whole thing. And so, so to question some of the basics of it and say it needs these additional theoretical underpinnings, to me intellectually, that's really interesting. But practically speaking, I wonder if anybody's going to pay attention to it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we'll make everybody put it in their dissertation and then yeah. not do it once they do a real, actual, forensic case. I mean, and, and some of the points they raise are, are
1: totally spot on. I mean, I don't disagree with anything they're saying. It's just that the nature of forensic anthropology is such that they can't afford to do that. So it's it's an interesting problem. I mean, one of the, issue, one of the examples she brings up is... Um, uh, Zoe Crossman brings up is how na- suddenly now fingerprints are not right, the be-all end-all that everybody uh, thought they were huh, and and that's it's a great example
3: yeah
1: um, and it's not that fingerprints themselves are so bad it's that we generally don't have complete finger yeah. yeah and how many matches is good and you know and all of that sort of stuff and so the same sort of way um, the, in in the other paper in that forensics section, um, he he cites the author cites um, testimony from an archaeologist about whether or not these graves were the result of uh, of a uh, you know a traumatic event or whether it could just be something else. And it was, was interesting to me is that he the person testified really adequately answer it because he had not done enough work on that specific society. Right. He went in and did what he does, but he didn't know enough to be able to answer in detail a lot of the questions. So it's it's intriguing. I mean, it's an interesting problem. Theoretically, it's interesting. (coughs) Intellectually, it's
2: interesting. Whether
1: anybody will... (laughs) follow through on it? I don't know.
2: It'll make a lovely edited volume yes. that will cost $200. Um, and, and then, I mean, they're interesting questions. Yeah. yeah. And and it raises for me
1: one of the things that makes me crazy that I am going to talk about in my, my discussion tomorrow and that is this notion that if we do isotopes or if we do DNA or if we do any of these techniques, you know, that suddenly that data has... Preference over all other data. Yeah. That's believable. What you did over here that you spent 30 years doing, not believable. Even though you use multiple lines of evidence. This little thing I did over here, that makes everything you did wrong. Right. You know? So so what if in a mound we find that an individual wasn't born in that area? Does that really mean that everybody migrated there? Because that's what they're saying. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, that is what people are concluding. They're basing it because it takes a lot to do it. So they're basing it on a few skeletons. And it's like there are all kinds of problems with the technique itself, but I'm not even going there. I'm willing to say it's correct, even if it is. Okay, so a person
2: came from somewhere else. And we've all been moving as long as humans have existed exactly. or we wouldn't have populated the planet. We'd exactly. all be totally inbred. Exactly. We'd be like the British so, monarchy. So, saying, so say, you know, that's why it, it just drives me nuts. Yeah. Uh, it's like... And the propensity to migrate personally in my family like I need to be on the move at all times and most of my family doesn't ever want to move we're not a different culture no. but I I can be found in a different place almost every month and so yeah. if I wind up dying in Toronto does that mean that I was this my huge cultural inversion or was it just that I was somebody who was sent somewhere to go do something and that's all and and really if you have you know
1: from any any of the big sites that we're talking about, we may have hundreds of skeletons. And they're looking at for-
2: Because that's all the money yes. they have, right? Yeah. <laughs> or the samples are only just, good enough for just, those.
1: And the DNA stuff it has even worse problems because yeah. there's nothing to compare it to. Yeah,
0: yeah that's the, the biggest challenge. I mean, I do isotope work and that's where there's, it's so important to have either a big enough sample size to make those presumptions, which is almost impossible, um, even with enough money just because the nature of the it's evidence yeah. yeah, and then just being able and I think it's important for archaeologists to really be willing and able to admit that they can't predict everything you can't make these broad sweeping claims about things um, or a whole population based off of four skeletons um, one of my original um, master's thesis uh, that I was going to do and there were complications kind of going into it but uh, was looking at a, a monograph I've read in my undergrad which I found fascinating visited the site realized that there was so much more that could be learned there was evidence there the uh, type of uh, analysis that they had done had gotten cheaper, so you could then draw a larger sample and actually say something about it, because the mm-hmm. what they had tried to say sounded, it was very controversial to me, like very odd, and that it really needed to be tested further, because that was, a, it was like...
1: Well, and I, I just, I just really am uncomfortable with the primacy of it that this is, this takes precedence over everything else.
2: Yeah, yeah. but our culture is doing that with the new Ancestry.com commercials that you take one sample and nobody's even really thinking about where does that data come from? So the interpretation for somebody just watching the commercial is that they actually think there's something in your DNA that somehow links to a country and so when you're doing that with one sample and not thinking about it and then an archaeologist says I have this one skeleton and this proves something those two things reinforce each other in popular culture so if we want to critique Ancestry.com and things like that we can't keep doing these studies on one skeleton and saying that oh this changes everything and and vice versa right if we're going to critique the one we have to critique the other. And, and we've been critiquing identity as long as anthropology has existed, and, and clearly we're not getting anywhere if people think as soon as you send $100 away, you suddenly need to buy Lederhosen right. and, and an Akama pot. Right, because yes. suddenly you've discovered something that that that's was right. always there to, to start with. So. Well,
0: and not to mention, even if that was accurate and it did actually pinpoint that, you're only looking at, say, the mitochondrial DNA. That is one branch, know, one tree, of one side. Like ninety percent of all of it is not. It's
1: mis- and, and that it's, it's very misleading because I'm not even questioning the accuracy. Yeah, it's accurate, but it's based on a very small proportion, and also the, the population. Mm-hmm. They don't have that much data on the population to really make it yes. that, that clear either. Right.
2: If we took the DNA of everybody in Wisconsin and classified that as what Wisconsin is like, and then sampled somebody in New York to find out if they were from Wisconsin, how come we don't do that? But we assume that that's accurate for Ireland and Scotland. Right. right. It's yeah. the same thing as, so how come ancestry DNA never comes out with American? How come it never comes out with New Yorker? So there, there's like a theory underlying it that these other nations are identities. Yeah, and, and America and New York and Wisconsin are not identities. Yeah. And just that simple thing needs to be challenged. Yeah, that's yeah, true.
0: So identity, post humanism, theory versus method, application of theory, these are all pretty juicy concepts that are. Fun to think about. I don't know about you, but I now have a growing reading list uh, that I need to work on this summer. So if you're interested in any of these topics, or we're at TAG, or just have something to say, feel free to contact us on Twitter at WomenArchies and on our website you can find links for our Facebook page uh, the Twitter handle that I mentioned and our email address so don't be shy we love hearing from you and if you have any ideas for show topics that you'd like to hear or would love like to be a guest we'd love to have you thanks again for listening and we hope to hear from you again soon bye <laughs> We hope you have enjoyed the show. Please be sure to subscribe and rate our show wherever you listen. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and probably whatever your favorite podcasting app is. Remember to like and share. If you have questions or comments, you can post them in the comments section for the show at the Women in Archaeology page on the Archaeology Podcasting Network site. Or email them to us at womeninarchaeologypodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. This show is part of the Archaeology Podcasting Network and is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. You can reach them at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Music for this show was Retro Future by Kevin MacLeod, available at incompetech and royalty-free music. Thanks for listening.